Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Um, today, we'll be speaking with uh, Steve Cobb. Steve Cobb is the Chief Information Security Officer uh, of OneSource Communications. He's been in that role seven years. And uh, looking at your bio here, I see that you um, came a long way You know, from back in 1995, where you actually, I think you owned your own company. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe it was in the IT space. And then you took a bunch of positions along the way, uh, you know, project management, uh, consultant, supervisor, network mm-hmm. and senior network engineer, and, and so on, before you landed your current uh, position uh, in OneSource Communication. Did you want to jump in and introduce yourself? Sure, I will. As you mentioned, my name is Steve Cobb. Uh, I'm located on the east uh, coast in in the state of North Carolina. Um, I've been in IT slash security for uh, 30 plus years now. I actually started my own company uh, out of college, an IT consulting business that um, grew pretty successfully and and decided I wanted to move into an enterprise space. So I sold out of that business and went to work for several organizations, as you mentioned, uh, doing enterprise type roles, learning kind of on the job as I went and growing in my foundations of uh, IT and security from, from you know, working on the job when you're, when you're your own boss and you're trying to make a buck uh, doing IT and consulting and stuff, you learn a lot in a short period of time because uh, a lot of times you're asked to do a lot. So anyway, um, I was uh, asked to come and start a IT and security consulting business, essentially an MSP, MSSP with one source. One source has been around for 27 years. So they had a good foundational base. They had customers that were starting to ask them to help with IT and security needs. And so I was brought in to kind of build that business and run that space. And we've had uh, double, triple digit growth year over year uh, since inception. So um, doing doing uh, really well there, but most of all, we're, we're helping protect and defend clients and get them to a better space, show them value, that sort of thing. Okay, great. And thank you for that uh, introduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just from my benefit, uh, so OneSource is a, an MSP and MSSP, you said? Correct. Okay. So you provide like um, whatever, like turnkey solutions for um, specific, specific yep. niches in the market? or uh... Well, we're pretty broad. I mean, we've got a lot of, uh, of niches and verticals like uh, quick serve restaurants and fast foods where they need a combination of of managed IT and managed security to meet, let's say, PCI DSS requirements, but also someone to manage firewalls and switches at 3,000 restaurants, let's say. So we have quite a few businesses that way. Our, the peer, uh, the core um, offering for one source has been communication lifecycle management. You can think of that as managing the communications piece of an organization, whether it's wireline, wireless sailor. We manage all that, contract management, help desk, support, um, bill pay, all that sort of thing. And those customers that we provided that for, you know, as the communication space has bled into IP and IT, more and more have asked, uh, they, they've got needs around that the IT management and security. 
And more and more of these businesses that have been around for a while are now faced with challenges. Everything's going on the internet. They got to change how they do communications. You know, and, and, and five, 10 years ago, communications from a branch of a bank could, could run over 56K baud modem. Now you've got to have a five or 10 meg connection and everything's in the cloud. And so that's a whole new world for a lot of these businesses. And, and that's where we can come in and provide some expertise, turnkey, if you will, uh, from communications to the IT management of what they need on the back end, infrastructure, all those uh, sorts of things, cloud management. And then the overlay, really our focus is security to make sure we're doing it all in a, in a way that we can protect and defend our clients. Okay, got it. Thank you. Thanks for that. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, before we dive into the questions, uh, I, I'd like to ask you a couple of icebreaker questions here. Sure. Uh, can, can you share anything about your marital status and then your favorite drink? Sure. I'm married, uh, been married for um, 20, going on 28 years this year. Uh, my wife and I have three children who are all I'll say, I'm air quotes, grown here. They're in, they're in college or a higher form of learning. So I've got one that just graduated law school who will be taking a bar this year. I've got another one that's in a uh, master's program for public health and another one who's a freshman in college. So we are empty nesters, I guess you'd say. Our, our kids are out of the house as much as they can be. Uh, out of the house, but not out of the pocketbook, I guess is the, the way we look at it. But um, yeah, so we are... Um, that's happily married and, and will continue to be so for a while, I hope. Okay. Hope and so. then fa favorite yeah. drink, I, I'm, I'm not really a big drinker, but I do love ginger ale. And I, uh, I like the ginger ale that's spicy. You've probably seen some of the brands now that come out with spicy ginger ale. So it's a, a little bit of a take your breath away type of, um, type of ginger ale. I, I, I enjoy those. And uh, I'd say if I had my choice, that's probably what I would drink. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, yeah. You know, diving right in, uh, if there's one thing you wish you'd known before you begin a career, what would that be? I, I think, um, you know, starting my own business, being an entre entrepreneur out of the gate, um, and, and some of those behaviors I learned then carried over even today. But I, I think if uh, starting all over, I had known to surround myself with the people that could compliment me, um, you know, my, my strengths are their weaknesses, their, weak, their uh, strengths are my weaknesses, and surround myself with those kind of people that could build, uh, help me build my um, skill set knowledge faster. Um, I think I could have gotten further faster. So what I mean by that is, you know, for the time I was an entrepreneur and consulting, I actually brought partners on and we expanded and got, and, and got to be a sizable business, but um, I still was kind of uh, I, I guess Superman trying to wear the cape and do everything myself. And um, the, the downside of that is it's lonely. And two, uh, it's, it's a lot harder to learn those things on your own sometimes than it is just learning from somebody who's already done it and share those experiences. So uh, I think, you know, collaboration with the right people is important to understand early in your career and align yourself with those kind of folks. It can drive your career faster and further, uh, most definitely. Yeah, but that's given you trust the individual that you're surrounding yourself with, right? Without, without a doubt. Yeah, you have to be, you know, that can't be uh, an open-ended invitation for collaboration with folks because, you know, not, not everybody's got your best interest and not everybody is working toward the same goal you are. So, yeah, you've got to make sure that, that you're aligned with that person that somebody can trust. And I do think um, it makes sense to be, to have a personal relationship with that person. I, I think it adds a extra amount of accountability 
uh, than just being a, in a business relationship. So, uh, you know, a lot of people probably uh, think the opposite of that. I've been in both spaces. Uh, I've been in both places where uh, business uh, peers were, you know, just business peers, nothing happened outside of work. Also a business peers that were personal friends where we collaborate or, you know, we, we hung out after work and, or outside of work and those sorts of things. Uh, and without a doubt, the, the, the relationships where you have both professional and personal relationships with folks are much strong, stronger in my experience than, and then isolation in any, either one of those. Mm -hmm. And, you know, looking back, would you, um, do you have any, any recollections of uh, what you perceive to be your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Um, yeah, I think probably as I think about biggest failure, it has to do with that entrepreneurial business I mentioned, and, and it ties right in, uh, being with the, the discussion we just had aligning myself with, maybe with folks who did not have the same interest, uh, that I did. And so, um, I, I think, you know, making sure that you are aligned with those folks, that's probably the biggest failure. It, it, it pushed me to a place where I got out of my business that I started and went, now, don't get me wrong, I, you know, it turned out great for me because I got some enterprise experience and worked with some really great companies like Microsoft and other companies. I really enjoyed it. It pushed me in a direction I probably needed to go anyway. But um, as I look back and think about it, uh, there's a lot that business could have been and could have could be today. Um, after, you know, I, you mentioned 95, I actually started in 1993. And um, in 1995 is kind of when it went kind of exploded and br I brought partners in and things. And so um, I think from looking back on it, having that much time and effort in a business is probably one of the things I regret um, th the most that I see. Mm -hmm. Okay. And having uh, touched about that, uh, what would you consider your biggest accomplishment then? Um, I, I think it's probably not one point in time. Biggest accomplishment uh, probably is starting to turn a focus to security early on. Um, you know, in the in the early days of IT, back when you had the I love you virus and, and uh, you know, viruses were attached to uh, USB drives that people sneaker netted around. That's how you kind of try to, <laughs> your viruses got um, transmitted or either they're the old school, I, you know, as I mentioned, I love you virus that would be a versed original email viruses. I took a keen interest in those early on. And I think it helped propel my propel my career throughout because uh, in everything, although a lot of IT and infrastructure kind of focused for my background, security was always there, something intrigued me. I did security when I, on my own time, that was my passion, right? I did that outside of work. At, at work, it was a lot of IT and infrastructure focused activities with security overlay, but I'd go, you know, participate in some CTFs and hacking pieces, ethical hacking uh, environments and things like that on my own time, just because I, I liked it so much. And so accomplishment was, I think, uh, making sure I had a direction towards security early on really played a, a big role for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, so, um... Yeah, so basically, I mean, the, the move into the security space that resulted from, you know, your previous experiences and as an IT um, um, founder of an IT consulting company. Um, yeah, I mean, um, and, and just um, to make sure I, I, I fully understand. So 
you grew out out of the IT space, so I'm assuming your the your, your first touches with security and cybersecurity. You know, it wasn't called cybersecurity back then, but with information no, security, right. yeah, yeah, with information security, were around probably like the network space, operating yeah. system, less less yep. in the realms of like uh, development, SDLC. Correct. And, uh, okay. Yeah, without a doubt, without doubt. That's that's really where my I, I kind of earn my chops and and where I, I still am most comfortable. So we play in the application space, the secure software development and all that space as well. But I, my roots are, you know, network security, uh, OS, malware, reverse engineering, those sorts of things. That's that's kind of my, my core, my root. And um, I, if I have a uh, an opportunity, that's where I'll default back to uh, all the time when I when I want to play or go do things. Uh, I much uh, and much I enjoy that much more than trying to look through code and look for, uh, you know, for instance, bug bounties and things like that are great. There's people who have the minds to think like that. I don't have a mind. My mind is not geared that way. So looking through code to find exploits is not uh, a huge um, uh, driver for me. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, if there are any um, listeners out there that are just you know, beginning their career in uh, in the space, whatever you want to call it, cybersecurity or information security, and you know, considering you've been, you've spent, a, you know, uh, you've been around the block, you've spent some years in this space. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any any piece of advice or any sort of a mentorship uh, type of advice you wanted to give out to them if they wanted to pursue a career in in our space? I would say that um, you got to be, you know, figure out what it is. Figure out, do you love it, right? Because I will say the cybersecurity space can be very stressful. It can be chaotic. It can be um, uh, it can be disappointing at times, honestly. Uh, but I think if you have a passion for it and it's something that you love to do, then you will find a way or make a way in order for you to learn the skills you need to learn, gain the knowledge you need to gain, and make the connections um, with with people uh, that you need to make in order to grow your career and get to a place that you're satisfied. There's um, more so now than ever, Ben, there's opportunity in the cybersecurity space. I mean, if you look at where we are from a lack of, of, uh, lack of people to fill jobs, so, you know, that how, how many cybersecurity jobs that are open right now that can't be fulfilled because there's not enough people to go into it, there's more opportunity now than ever for folks. And, and I'm seeing personally as I re- inter- interact with folks, you know, for us, we have a security operations center as part of our security op- uh, offering so we've got two socks that operate 24-7, and we've started an internship program to bring interns through. And more and more, we're seeing some of those people that are in, in middle age that are changing careers, right? They, were, they worked in healthcare, they worked mm-hmm. in financials, or they, they worked in pharmaceuticals or some other thing, and they've just decided, you know, cybersecurity is really interesting to me. I'm going to change and change my career and go down that path. There's more opportunity now for that than there's ever been. But... I've also seen people who, you know, see cybersecurity as maybe a fast way to an end goal um, or a quick buck or a way to uh, change their lives quickly. And I'll say, if you're not passionate about it and you, it's not something you want to work for, um, you, it, it'll be a struggle, right? For those people, I mean, it's a struggle anyway, but for those people who really like it or are passionate about it, they don't feel that it's a struggle, right? It's just part of the process for them to get there. So that would be my advice for those people who are considering this is, do you really like it? And and what I would say is go try some, there's opportunities to go attend some, you know, everything's virtual now, right? So go attend a virtual conference or go participate in a, in a, in a capture the flag event or go 
look at some of the uh, places like Hack the Box or other places where you can go and try some ethical hacking and see if it's something that you're really passionate about you want to do. Yep. So in other words, find your passion. And I mean, the, this space is so vast. So you could, it really uh, is. You it can really pick is. and choose, you know, as you said, like uh, yeah. security operations, you could, you know, these Compl days like yep. sec DevOps compliance. Yep. Uh, yep. Compliance, and, risk management, all those things. Yeah. Pen testing, red teaming for those people who like that stuff, sort of thing. They, yeah, that's right. There, there are, it is so vast, so many different areas that, you don't have to be, uh, you know, the the image of somebody in a basement wearing a, a hoodie, a black hat, typing on a keyboard in cybersecurity. Um, and, and you don't have to be on the other side, hand-to-hand -hand combat with that person trying to kick them out. Those are, uh, I mean, you know, the, the blue teamers and the red team, teamers, those are opportunities that exist. But but you're right. There's so, so vast a space there now um, that you almost can make your own niche to if you have a passion. I, I really believe that. There's there's people who you can see uh, Twitter is one of the things that I, uh, as well, I'd recommend to folks who are interested in the InfoSec uh, community. There's a huge InfoSec community on Twitter. Um, not all great, but there are a lot of great people that are on there. And you can find people there who've made a business, made a, made a life for themselves um, doing things they're passionate about, social engineering or other things like that, that people have wrote books and become very successful are around just because it's something they love to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, coming from the IT space before security, before moving into the security space, um, do you have any specific uh, thoughts or feelings about uh, the role of a CISO that's actually part of uh, an IT organization? I mean, and looking at the market, you see, as, as, you, as you probably know, you know, in some organizations, the CISO is a part of the IT organizations. Uh, organization where in other organizations the CISO might be a part of the you know a higher level leadership team or they might you know be under the whatever CTO or COO mm -hmm. in some cases. Do you have any specific thoughts about CISO and IT? So I, I think the CISO has to have a direct link to IT. I mean I, for, for in order for an organization to be successful the CISO at least has to have some visibility and input or feedback to IT operations. Now, I'm not saying they have to be a decision maker, but I do think they need to have a um, seat at the table when those discussions are happening. If you think about SecDevOps or what you're doing around cloud migrations and cloud spaces or other infrastructure, um, the CISO or the security arm of that organization needs to have an overlay there just to, to validate that things are going, uh, are, are being performed in a safe and secure manner. I am of the school where I think that the CISO should be um, not autonomous, they, they definitely should have accountability, but they shouldn't be under the CTO or an IT organization as part of it. I, I think in those places where I've seen that, there's overdue pressure that the CISO has to, when they're reporting up through that IT organization, that they have to maybe bend the knee to some, to some practices that may not be best practices, right? I think they need to have a um, advise and consent type of role if you will, to those IT organizations so that they can oversee those. As I said, maybe not a decision maker, but they can at least provide some um, counsel to, you know, this, this, this may put us at higher risk than that. It's a choice the business has to make, but at least can advise on that and provide some guidance around it. I, I see in many places where um, either the security arm is a 
just a kind of stepchild of the IT organization. And so yeah. the only time they the only time they get a say is when an audit comes up and they've got to pull reports and then throw reports back, but they don't have any real operational input. And and in those cases, um, you see a lot of opportunity for for compromise for breach and risk is tremendously high. So we do a lot of incident response with one source. We we are brought in a lot of times either during a breach, after a breach, mid-breach. A lot of times our role is to help uh, remediate uh, a situation. Ransomware is the biggest thing right now where we, we do ransomware on a on a weekly basis, unfortunately, it seems like. But uh, in those organizations where we come in, where they've been hitting ransomware, a lot of times that is an indicator that we see that if they had a security, if security had a voice, um, that voice was... So the volume was turned down so low on that voice that they really had no impact to how the organization was uh, from a security perspective. Mm -hmm. and, and talking about, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, your daily routine and, and how you came about to, to your position, looking back, do you, do you have any, any tips around the best resources that have helped you along the way, whether that be, you know, uh, whatever that might be? Yeah. Well, I'll call out Twitter again, and and I say that just because although Twitter may be kind of a more thought of around social media, there's a lot of learning and opportunity to learn around Twitter, especially following the right people. Uh, and so I would I would say, you know, Twitter's a good sp good spot to follow people that can share information that's valuable information that helps learning and knowledge. Uh, I think it's a great place to make connections as well. So it can help your career from the standpoint of if you're looking. Uh, to move into a space or, or get into a specific area of security, there's probably somebody very knowledgeable on Twitter that you could follow and, and, and try to make some kind of connection with. The other thing is just those, uh, as I mentioned before, those the, the InfoSec community is fantastic about offering um, collaborative, uh, open uh, conferences, um, capture the flag events, hackathons, all that sort of thing that you can get your foot exposed to or get your get exposed to get your foot in the door. Uh, and I would take advantage of those. So, you know, um, the, the vendors are famous for I'm not encouraging anybody to go get on vendor spam list because the vendors will spam you um, as much as they can. But a lot of them have pretty good content as well that is agnostic to their product um, and just around security. So, um, there, there, there are a lot. I could name a lot of them. Qualys does it. Cisco does it. Um, uh, CrowdStrike does it. FireEye does it. Mandiant does it. A lot of great information that can raise your game. That's free for you to consume. You just got to go look for it. And so I would that that's what I would say. A tip is set aside some time. I, I do this myself. Set aside some time each week that you're going to spend on professional development for you for what your passion is, and then find those resources and spend that time. Book it out just like you're going to book out a meeting, right? If you've got, you've got your calendar full on you know, Thursdays at four o'clock, that's my time to go do some professional development. Um, if you're passionate about it, you'll be like I am. And it's really anytime, anytime you've got free time after hours, whenever it is, you go do it. But if, if, if you have to do it during your business day, then book out that time and go do it. But the, the key is um, you got to find time to stay ahead. The, the, this InfoSec space, the one thing about it is it's always changing. It's not staying the same. It's different from one day to the next. There's new things, new ideas, uh, and and new uh, opportunities. You just have to, you know, go and find them. 
Mm-hmm. Is there any anything uh, you know? And 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 by the way, before I ask this question, there are so many. Uh, I, I just want to uh, just remember what you just said. There are so many learning opportunities out there. Whether you know, so many organizations. Whether it's uh, I, I Saka or uh, you know, uh, I ISC two or what? Yeah, yeah, so so many. Yeah, just so many. Yeah, so many organizations, so many events, so many industry events, and especially now, you know, since COVID with Zoom, a lot of those events are free as well. Virtual, that's right. Yeah, some of them, you know, um, credit you with uh, some uh, CPE points. So, yeah, so, so many learning opportunities. But again, I would also, you know, just to 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 echo what you just said. Find your passion and then try to grow. Yeah, and I, and I'll say again, Ben, too, that um, there are a lot of local. Uh, you know, you think about B sides or um, um, you know other other infosec groups. You mentioned ISSA. Um, all all these uh, groups that meet locally in the Bay Area. You've got a bunch of them right in the Bay Area, uh, yeah. where these groups that meet uh, once a month and they get together just to share. Uh, security ideas or security passions and you can make a lot of great community uh, connections there but you can learn a lot too because a lot of these folks are you know their day jobs are you know doing something that you may find uh interesting and be passionate about they can give you firsthand knowledge about or experience on so i look and see what's available in your area and every you know COVID things have gotten soon but there is a lot of opportunity i know the b-sides in my area is just starting to back to meet face to face, our ISA our ISSA meeting this month is the first time in two years has been back face to face. So things are opening back up where you can get back and face to face meet with people and and create some opportunities uh, there. So I encourage people to do that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, is there was there any is there any common myth about our profession or the cyberspace that, that you wanted to debunk? Hmm. Common myths. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I, I guess one of the common myths is that if you work in cybersecurity, uh, if you, you got family members who think you can hack up an, an ex-boyfriend's or ex-girlfriend's phone or hack a Facebook page or a Twitter page or do, do something like that in order to, uh, gain information about someone. So, you know, t- that's not typically, uh, everything that a cybersecurity, uh, professional does, right? So, um, you know, you get those questions from people that say, oh, this person did me wrong. I want you to get on the Facebook page and hack it and do things like that for them. And so that is not the, the cybersecurity space. I guess that's the myth really is the cybersecurity space is much more than just the hacking, right? The, the individuals who do, whether it's ethical hacking from a red team perspective, perspective or black hats who are doing this illegally that are criminals. Uh, so that's, that is so much of a corner case actually in cybersecurity that um, there's so much other opportunity and interesting things to be about. Yeah, those are cool. And they, they obviously the movie, you hear the movies about those and those are what all the media reports about, but there's a lot of stuff going on in cybersecurity that's really interesting and really valuable. That's not just, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the guy in the hoodie down the basement banging away on a keyboard trying to break into the DOD uh, network, yeah. let's say. And you're actually not the first uh, one that uh, mentioned that as uh, the myth that wanted to debunk. So, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a common thing. It, yeah, it is. Uh, in your opinion, and speaking generally right now, not specifically about your organization, uh, what are the main concerns, in your opinion, that CISOs nowadays have? 
Wow. Uh, I think the main concern is um, uh, losing control, right? And so and I don't mean that to, to be from a control freak to say that we got to know about everything and everything's got to be um, open and visible to, to us, CISO. But there are a lot of opportunities in, in not just I not, not just specifically from an IT and infrastructure perspective, but even from the business standpoint, there's a lot of risk that uh, organizations not built correctly can impose upon themselves by, let's say, the sales department going and adding an application they want to start using and not doing the proper vetting of the application, who the third party vendor is, that sort of thing. And that happens all the time, especially um, in a lot of the small, medium enterprise markets where maybe they don't have the right security operations in place, you know, uh, um, vendor management, uh, third party risk review, uh, secure DevOps, those sorts of things. A lot of things just kind of slide in from the sides and uh, it, it opens a lot of uh, gaps. And so that, that's the, the part I think that keeps, that, that concerns me the most not only for my organization, but organizations that we support and that we come in and do incident response for, or we're, we're, we're helping do managed security for, is that um, it's difficult to, you know, control all the doors uh, into the organization. And there's a lot of people that have keys to those doors. Um, that, that's the piece that I think really, um, and, and for, for me, then that goes to a lot of the things that I try to talk to our leadership team at one source, but also because I do a lot of advisement consulting because we're an MSSP to other businesses, to other CISOs, to other C-level executives, is really this a behavior change that has to happen in the organization, right? You've got to be security conscious and you've got to change your organization to start being security conscious to assist the CISO and the security teams to think about those things, right? The sales team has a valid ask, they've got a app they wanna start using, We've got to transform the organization for that sales team to have security as at least one of the bullet points to check and make sure, you know, excuse me, for instance, does the application support multi-factor authentication, right? How are we going to authenticate to it? What are we going to use? What are we going to tie to it? Um, and how is it going to allow users, uh, both internal and external access to our data and our infrastructure? Those are things that um, are challenging. It's a long road, but we, we, in, in the in the U.S., I will say anyway, we don't have an appetite for it, and we, we're going to have to get an appetite for it. We're going to have to start and uh, in, in in, in really, I guess, the, the idea is educating our our staff, our leadership, all the way up and down the chain uh, to understand how important security is as an overlay to everything we do in the business. And, and you mentioned, you know, uh, too many doors. I would even argue that there are, you know, some hidden doors that you you don't even yeah. know about, right? And um, right. and and that leads me to my next question. You know, yeah. in your opinion, like what skills does does a, does a CISO should have in order to, I mean, among other things, know about all the the doors, all the hidden doors as well. <laughs> and and I and 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 that's one of the things too that say. It, it may not be a myth, myth for cybersecurity, but probably a myth for CISOs is that we do have, know all those doors and we have uh, good understanding and insight into all those doors. As I mentioned before, um, software development is not my strong suit, right? Uh, been in that space, done some of that, but I would not consider myself an expert there. I'd need to rely on members of my team and other people who have that skill set that can help 
assist me with understanding that hidden door, for instance. But um, yeah, I think the the the, the skill set you, you've got to a CISO's got to be a lot of things. A CISO's got to be um, paranoid to a degree. Uh, I think that's a that's an asset that you know doesn't need to drive you not to sleep at night. But just uh, maybe paranoid is not the right word. Maybe suspicious is the right word, right? Just a a healthy suspicion about what's going on within the business, uh, I think is a key asset. I think another one is um, having the ability to relate to the business, right? So many times the CISOs have this uh, directive or this edict about securing the business, but it, it has does not have the context of what the business does tied to it. So I'm just gonna say, you know, we're going to enforce multi-factor authentication on every one of our devices, mobile, servers, everything. And that may be the right step for the business, but they do it at a out, they do it in a silo and, and it may actually hurt parts of the business, right? So there's got to be the understanding of the business and the business impact along with the security initiatives that overlay it. Uh, too many times those things are are separated and you see a lot of struggles. Or the worst thing that you can see is that security directives that are really needed get abandoned because the business gets frustrated. It's, it's too complex or it's too inconvenient and we're not going to do it. And the CISO doesn't have the ability to compromise or to talk through why we're doing it and how the business can overcome those inconveniences they have, right? So um, that's a key, uh, you got you to gotta be a negotiator to a degree w w as a CISO. Uh, and there's things that you, there's, there's wins that you can get uh, and some wins that are just difficult to get. What you got to do then at that point is be a really good troubleshooter to go back and figure out how do we mitigate this risk to, to lower the risk as much as possible for the business. Um, CISO's got to be um, pretty confident in what they're bringing to the table as well, because there are a lot of challenges that happen um, around the, the C-suite table, the leadership table, uh, when, when um, suggestions are made that... CISOs need to represent what the what the outcomes are going to be and present those in a way that makes sense to the rest of the leadership in the business overall. So uh, once again, there may be things that uh, myself as a CISO may tell our leadership team, we need to do these three things in order to lower our risk. And the pushback is, okay, we can do two of those things, but one of those things is going to add 15 minutes to our daily time of production of, of, of widgets. Um, you know, give me the consequences if we don't do it. So I've got to be really confident and the understanding of what the technology is and the outcomes and how it affects the business in order to relate that to the rest of the leadership and, and, have, and make really good decisions uh, across the board for the organization. Yeah, and I think throughout your answers today, there is an underlying theme of, uh, you know, the, the assumption that the CISO is basically a business role for all intents and purposes. Now, in your opinion, and looking into the, the future, let's say five years, 10 years uh, from now, where do you think the Caesar role is going? Um, I, I think, uh, at least this is my hope, <laughs> I'll say it that way. I think organizations are becoming more aware and security conscious. I think the CISO role is becoming uh, a more um, advisory uh, uh, type of role for the business. Uh, someone who can, who can talk about risk and risk mitigation Someone who has um, who who is a um, contributing, uh, highly contributing member of the leadership and 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 C-suite team 
such that uh, they're not brought in only when uh, a breach occurs, right? Uh, I know I know organizations we've dealt with before where either the security operations leader or the CISO, whoever may be the top, you know, tip of the spear for security for that that business, is only brought in to have leadership discussions when a hack occurs, when a compromise occurs or a breach occurs. That's the only time they see them. Um, and I'm, I'm, my hope is, and I think this is happening, that over the next five years, CISOs become more integrated into the business operations overall, right? So they're not just thought of as um, a, a hindrance to the business. They're thought of as an asset to the business in a way that we can grow our business. We can, we can do more with our business and we can do it in a secure way. Uh, and we can get ahead of some of those risks before they're realized on a business down the road. So that, that's where I think CISO role is going and I'm, I'm hoping it's going that way. I think businesses will be in a much better place if they can adopt that, that methodology and that mindset. Um, but five years is probably the right time frame, honestly. I, I, on, we, we've seen businesses who um, you, you know, have gone through incidents that we've come in behind from, and they may have a really strong meeting with the, with the security leaders there, have really strong security leaders. It's just the security leaders had no opportunity to provide feedback or input and how the business operations um, proceeded. So, um, you know, if they can get a, a bigger um, or, a, or a more impactful role, it'll work out better for the, for the organizations across the board. Okay, um, thank you for that. And so basically, you know, an expansion or even um, a solidif- you know, I mean, in other words, let me rephrase. What you're saying is that the the fact that CISO is a business role will get solidified over the next period, like the, the period of the next five to ten years, and you know, would be you know, um, would be regarded as a leadership uh, position, regardless of uh, the organization. In most organizations, the moment yeah. you want, and more organizations right. will go and get the, I mean, become more mature in in realizing that that. Yes, yeah. core function yeah. that needed to be as part of any leadership team. I, I think a a metric for that, uh, Ben, that we could track is the number of CISOs um, globally, right? Uh, and I say that because there are a lot of businesses, and and I use the title CISO, you know, as interchangeable. It could be VP of security. It could be someone who's got a role uh, uh, within the leadership team that has. Uh, is responsible and accountable to the security operations of an organization. I, I can't tell you how many businesses that we've been in where the security leader is also the IT leader or the security leader is a uh, CTO or a COO and they just are have been bolted on as a security person as well because maybe there's a, an yeah. audit requirement or a, or a, you know, other compliance requirement that has to happen. And it's just part of one of their daily functions they do quarterly to pull an audit report and, and spit it out. So they're the security leader. Um, I think if the number of dedicated security leaders that count goes up and continues to go up, goes up, it's a good sign of, of what I just spoke about, about more businesses becoming security conscious and putting leadership roles based on security at the board table. Um, that is a good sign to me. And I'm, I think we are going that way it's still just quite a struggle. They're especially, um, you know, globally, there's other countries who are are ahead of us, the U.S. in that space and that mindset, the thinking around that. And the U.S. is coming along, but but slowly. 
Okay, and you know, we're almost out of our uh, time today, but just out of curiosity, in your opinion, who would be those countries that are like ahead in the game that you just mentioned? Uh, well, I got to call out Israel, right? Israel um, is one of those uh, one of those countries that security is just kind of second nature to them, right? And and that proceeds into the business world uh, as well. You, you look at how many security vendors there are that originate from Israel. It's uh, an amazing number, but they have a innate mindset there around security and protect and defend. And I think that bleeds into their their business framework, business structure across the board. I, I would put them, you know, they're they're far along in that space and that thinking on 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 how that that goes. I think um, uh, I, I think probably Italy uh, dealt with quite a few op folks in in the um, Italian space who it seems like are more or farther ahead of the U.S. around security consciousness and, and awareness. Um, those are two that I would point out probably, at least in my experience, to seem to be far ahead of where the U.S. is. Got it. Thank you. And just to chime in here uh, about Israel. So I think my personal opinion is that um, it is, well, it is true that uh, there are a lot of uh, cyber startups in, in Israel. And, you know, as you said, cyber is more embedded into the, the, the way of doing things. I think that from a CISO perspective, CISOs have a lot broader roles. I mean, the, the, the average CISO in the US has a much broader role than the ones in Israel. Um, that, that's just, you know, my opinion based on, on my expertise and, um, you know, the years yeah. I've spent in the, in the industry. Um, but uh, yeah, but definitely, I mean, it's a cyber uh, powerhouse. Um, mm -hmm. Moving on here, so we only have a, a couple more minutes left for our uh, session today, unfortunately. Uh, maybe we could, you know, at some point schedule a follow-up uh, yeah. podcast. Um, sure. Yeah. So just, uh, you know, just a couple of questions about vendors. Uh, what it is that you're looking for in a vendor, actually? Um, I'm looking for... Um, in, in broad terms for a vendor, someone who will uh, support the, uh, the product or service that I'm consuming from them. Um, they can't be a, um, a dump, you know, you, you sell something, dump it, and then run away. I can't ever get a hold of somebody to, to support yeah. it. So I, I need to understand what support operations looks like for a vendor. Uh, I think the other thing is is um, reputation in the security space. Reputation goes a long way. It could be, um, it, it could mean nothing, but reputation, and I don't just mean reputation from the Gardner Magic Rogers perspective. I'm talking about reputation by going through some references and real world experiences with other, other uh, clients or other customers that can give real feedback around um, how, how, the, how the product or service works, um, what the relationship tends to be like and and how responsive that vendor is uh, when they're needed. I, I really look at vendor management and, and selecting vendors as a partnership. The goal should be, uh, I think, for us anyway, we are we are a managed services company. So we are not we're not selling a product directly to a customer and then never talking to them again until it needs to be renewed. We're selling month, monthly or recurring services to companies where there's a relationship built. And the idea should be that the success of our customers 
um, ties directly with our success, right? So if we can help make our customers successful, we're going to be successful. If we fail at making our customers successful, they're going to fail. And there's a tie there, a bond, a partnership. I look at that same thing for vendors, right? I, I need vendors who are willing to potentially put skin in the game, uh, be a partner with me, look for my success to then build or, or fuel their success. And that's the way that we should uh, think about the partnership. I, I am, I am much less likely just to buy a widget from somebody um, than I am to buy a widget from somebody if they can help me make that widget work in my environment and do what I need to do. Okay, clear. Uh, final question before we, we wrap this uh, up to, for today. Uh, if money was never an issue, would you do anything <laughs> different with your life? Um, wow, that's a... That's a that's a that's one out of the left out of left field. I you know, for me, um, for me, I've never been financially driven per se. So you know, everybody wants to make money, right? We all we all like to have money, um, but I don't know that because I love what I do. Um, I mean, it's I am passionate about what I do. I love to help other companies and bring value. I help the I love to help people who are interested in the space come along and, and be successful in the in the cyberspace themselves. I don't know that I would change a lot about it. I may have a different um, geographical location based <laughs> on being able to afford to live somewhere differently. Uh, but um, outside of that, from a career or professional standpoint, I'm not sure I would I would do anything differently. I've, I've enjoyed the trip. It has been a, a an adventure and, and it's been, um, you know, trying at times and it's but it's always been extremely rewarding and um i think that's really what fuels me from a satisfaction standpoint is being able at the end of the day to feel like i've put in a, a solid day's work and I've, I've brought value to either someone internally on our team or externally one of our customers um that's kind of what you know makes me sleep well at night well can't say i'm too surprised with your answer here but uh <laughs> thank you nonetheless uh, any final notes? I don't think so. I, I appreciate the chance to speak with you, Ben. And like I said, if you follow up or if somebody does need some assistance or advice or whatever they, they uh, might need in that cyberspace, more than happy to help out and provide some uh, mentorship or point them in the right direction if I can. Uh, be more than willing to do so. Much appreciated. So uh, they should reach out to you over Twitter or LinkedIn? Yeah, Twitter or LinkedIn. Twitter's at Protect Defend. And uh, LinkedIn is just, you can find me, Steve Cobb, on LinkedIn. Got it. Okay. Thank you as well for your time today. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, yeah, we can definitely, you know, talk in the near future, schedule up a follow-up episode at some point. And Sounds uh, great. yeah, I like the answer and like the discussion. Enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Have a great afternoon. You too.